relative humidity is at 54%. You've been listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter is Mike Rouse. Good morning again, Mike. Yes, good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about uh, whether there should be an age limit for taxi drivers after an accident in Fortress Hill on Sunday injured three pedestrians, two of them seriously. An 84-year-old cab driver was arrested. It was the latest in a series of uh, serious incidents involving taxis. The Transport Commissioner, Rosanna Law, has said the government is considering tightening health check requirements for commercial drivers. According to a Legislative Council paper in 2021, more than half of taxi drivers in Hong Kong were aged 60 or above and almost 10% were aged 71 or above. Figures for 2020 showed the number of accidents involving cab drivers aged 55 or above reached uh, 2,320, more than double the number of those aged below 55. And after 9.45, we're going to be talking about concerns over kidney diseases that may be present in one-seventh of Hong Kong's population. Let us know what you think on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 Joining us now on the line until 9.30, we have uh, Michael Teen, Roundtable Convener and Legislative Councillor. Um, also, we have with us uh, Terry, uh, Professor Terry Lum, uh, uh, who of the Henry G. Leung Professor in Social Work and Social Administration from the University of Hong Kong. Uh, Professor, Leung, uh, Professor Lum is going to stay with us a little bit longer after 9.30, but uh, thank you uh, to both of you for joining. We may be joined by a third guest in a moment, but per perhaps, Michael Teen, we can come to you first. Good morning. Good morning. So do you think the current system of uh, checks for uh, cab drivers and other commercial drivers is adequate? Uh, if not, how do you think it could be improved? Well, answer to your first question is no. The answer to your second question is I think uh, the, uh, what's outlined in the Ombudsman uh, report. Uh, let, let me just say this, okay? Currently, those below 60, they issue a 10-year license. Those from 60 to 70, it's a three-year license. And those above 70, it's a one- to three-year license plus body check uh, whenever you renew the license so it's not annual mm. and then the body check is just signed up by the doctor it didn't say specifically what to check mm. so <laughs> it's, it's a matter of finding a doctor you know give you a clean bill of health as a driver mm. ombudsman's report uh, suggests that the body check has to clearly state what are to be examined by the doctors uh, so there's a checklist okay and it is for all drivers so now i'm talking about all drivers above 70 not just taxi uh, drivers okay mm -hmm. and then the ombudsman suggested more stringent requirements for commercial vehicle drivers mm -hmm. so in other words those over 70 you need to do body check uh, uh, however uh, uh, they did not specify uh, the age where you, uh, I mean, uh, they did not specify the frequency uh, of the body check, okay? Mm -hmm. And uh, 
but they did say that if it's a commercial driver above 70, it should be more stringent uh, in terms of the body check than the uh, private driver. Mm-hmm. My suggestion is pretty much uh, just let's say I look at other countries, and I've been looking at mainland. Mainland for uh, drivers over 70, uh, they have yearly uh, body check with very specific checklist. Uh, and then for commercial drivers, it's the same but much more stringent. So it's kind of in line with the ombudsman. I'm sure the ombudsman probably also look at China. So the dividing line, according to this, uh, if we follow China, using that as an example, the mainland, I mean, mm-hmm. it will be 70 as a guideline. Private driver yearly test specifying what to test uh, in terms of body check. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, commercial driver, about 70, uh, same but much more stringent body check. Right. However, there's no mention at all about the absolute drop dead age limit. Mm-hmm. In other words, if somebody is fit and uh, uh, worthy, uh, is there a limit where no matter how uh, healthy that person is, that person cannot be allowed to drive either a private car or a commercial vehicle, uh, seems like in other jurisdictions there is no such mention. So that is actually a very sensitive issue. Right. So should age alone be the sole deterrent or the sole criteria uh, once you agree on that certain age? So my uh, suggestion is, you know, there's also a penalty here involved. So to counteract those people who are getting older and older who thinks they are fit to drive. But if you have a very high penalty for causing death through careless driving, currently the maximum penalty is 10 years. Because the maximum penalty is 10 years, you ended up with a private car accident in 2021 where there's one death and seven casualty caused and the driver eventually uh, was charged with careless driving and only sentenced to 16 months. That's based on the current maximum penalty of 10 years. I think what we need to do uh, for this particular area is to increase the maximum penalty to something like 30 years. So that would be a natural deterrent to those who are driving uh, regardless of age and regardless of whether they undergo body check or not, to really be very, very careful. And if you are over 75 or whatever, even though you feel you're fit, you just tend to be much more cautious. Right. Uh, good morning, Michael. What sort of things should we be looking at on the physical checks? Eyesight? Uh, reaction time? General if I were to give yeah. you any... Uh, particular, I would say that uh, it's against my principle, Mike, <laughs> because you have all these overseas jurisdictions. All right? They've done these things over the years many, many times. The best is to go to the other jurisdiction and find out what they are checking for. The easiest is mainland, right? I'm not a health expert, uh, nor am I a, a physio. 
uh, expert. So the best is look at other jurisdictions. But right. definitely, currently, I know for sure that all you need is to get a doctor to sign off saying you can drive. <laughs> that is obviously not enough. Uh, I think in the future, when you're over 70, if you're a private driver, you need to have a doctor test certain things and check off each list. I know it could be blood pressure, it could be your heart condition, it could be your eyesight, it could be your reflex. I don't know. And then there's a differentiation between this check, uh, in, the, uh, in this checklist between a private driver and a commercial driver. Okay. Okay. Well, let's bring in uh, Professor Terry Lum. Just before that, I just want to read a email from uh, listener Alonso. It says uh, uh, the serious accident in Fortress Hill was the latest uh, in a number of accidents involving elderly cab drivers over the past few months, and he lists uh, he lists uh, a series of four accidents, all involving drivers over the age of seventy. And then he goes on to say, um, "I'm curious as to what percentage of Hong Kong cabbies are in their seventies, eighties. I fully appreciate that driving a cab is an important source of income for many elderly people, especially in the wake of the economic slump that Hong Kong has endured." for the past three to four years. Hong Kong clearly doesn't have a mandated retirement age for cabbies. What conditions do elderly cab drivers have to satisfy before their licences are renewed should the current rules be tightened up? OK, thank you for that, uh, Alonso. And those uh, topics are what we're talking about uh, this morning for sure. But, uh, um, Professor Lum, um, mm -hmm. is, there, is there a danger here where, you know, um, uh, older drivers involved in accidents and uh, it's, it's like almost like a, an automatic reaction to say that, well, mm -hmm. we should have a cut off age, um, you know, whatever it might be, 65, 70, 75, what, what do you think? No, I definitely agree we should um, strengthen our regulation for, you know, the fitness to, you know, to drive uh, for commercial um, driver, including a test driver. So um, I just did a re uh, with quick research this morning. In fact, um, Singapore has such a regulation, so 75 or older, that you will be the, the drop dead age uh, for test driver. But I want to step back a little bit um, here. I think there are two questions we are facing. The first question is why are they driving, still driving, right, at the age of 70, 75, 80, or even 85? Why are they still driving? So the second question is um, uh, when we talk about fit for driving, I think um, the attention uh, focus on the medical test, actually, or medical exam is the wrong uh, place to kind of uh, want attention. Uh, we should focus more on functioning rather than medical. So medical is the basic, but um, a medical doctor is not the best person or best professional to test for functioning. And when we talk about functioning, uh, we talk about three dimensions. One is the physical functioning. So medical doctor usually do a good job, you know, uh, uh, in physical functioning. But second one is the mental functioning, um, their mental health status. But even more important for older people, their cognitive functioning is also important. So um, we know, need to know whether they have early sign of dementia, mild cognitive impairment, whether they have any, you know, um, uh, medical condition or health condition that affects their decision-making uh, ability as well as their processing time. So they may be intact in decision-making, but their processing time may be slower than a typical non-elderly person. Mm. So I think these are the two questions we need to address systematically instead of just a reaction to an accident here. Right. Well, uh, good morning, Professor. Who could do such a test? Actually, you know, if you look back, look at, for example, um, uh, in Taiwan, uh, when they decide a person who are a uh, the work 
uh, I mean the work ability or productivity of a person who came any this um, uh, disability uh, benefits, they have two levels of tests. The first level is by medical data to certify that physically whether they have any chronic disease. But another level is usually by some, someone like a physical therapist or actual occupational therapy who do the functional, functional test. And then for elderly person, I think a lot of family physicians, if they don't have specialized training, they will not be able to uh, make a diagnosis on cognitive impairment. So for cognitive impairment, usually either a geriatrician or a geri-psychiatry who, can, who are, kind of have the right knowledge and skill to do the cognitive uh, ability test. Do you think then it's a bit of a loophole if the driver can choose his own physician? Oh, to, definitely. To do definitely. The test. Oh, definitely. I, I think for anyone who want to continue to operate heavy mas- machine, including a commercial truck or test driver, I think we need to have a system for testing instead of letting the driver to pick one physician to come to complete a form to certify them. I think we need to have a system there to, uh, to make sure they go through a battery of tests, both as I say, both medical, cognitive, and mental health. Right, Michael. Yeah, Michael Teen, would you support that? Do we need a, a, a testing centre where these things are, are properly checked? Actually, I. Uh, <clears throat> I may have to correct a bit about my earlier statement that there are other jurisdictions that are no drop that uh, age mm. uh, for uh, commercial drivers. I realize that Singapore, Japan, uh, mainland Taiwan, they all have it in the mm. 70s, mm. In 73, 75, something like that. So I think the best is actually uh, have a complete review of Hong Kong's situation, look at the other jurisdiction. Uh, and then have an absolute cut-off point. With regard to testing, I totally agree. It has to be probably a list of uh, government-appointed testing physicians uh, that are authorized to do these things because it really involves public safety, uh, especially when you're looking about driving a a huge uh, tonnage commercial vehicle uh, that can cause immense damage. But don't forget, we are talking mostly about commercial driver today. Uh, when I look at the serious incidents from nine, 2019 to uh, 21, private car, truck, private car, there's four, four out of seven serious cases, four involves private cars, three are uh, uh, commercial vehicles. So I think the problem also is with the private car drivers, uh, you could argue that they're not transporting a lot of people in their car, but they can cause serious damage to other drivers and causing death. Mm-hmm. Okay, so increasing the penalty is definitely something we must consider. And then also having health check for these private cars uh, are also, uh, I think, very important. Uh, I think the kind of test can be less vigorous than the commercial ones, but they should undergo that as well. For example, I'm now 72, going on to 73. I really should be doing these tests once a year. (laughs) And I like to know for myself whether I'm fit to drive too. Mm -hmm. And honestly, if they increase the penalty, even if they don't, all right, if this is a requirement, I think it's probably uh, better for me. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. Uh, P- Professor Lum, would you mm-hmm. support that the idea of annual yeah, tests? Yeah. Mm. You know, uh, it is quite ridiculous in Hong Kong. For example, when your car, I, I am driving, actually, yeah, and when my car uh, a, uh, reached the seven years, you know, limit, <laughs> every single year when I renew the license, the, I mean, the, the license page, I need to send my car to a government upon the test center for testing. So every single year um, for the car. But when a driver reaches certain age, actually, we don't have such a system for the, for the driver. So uh, I, I think somehow uh, I don't want to see to kind of uh, make it uh, like uh, uh, age discrimination, but I think we need to acknowledge the cost to the society when there is a, um, a traffic accident is quite high. It won't affect. It does not only affect the driver; it affects a lot of other people and a lot of families. Right. So I think that, that that is why I think um, we definitely need to have a better testing system for aging driver. But I, I, I do I have another view on the penalty. I don't think imposing heavy penalty will be the way to go. I think most people, if you get involved in any traffic accidents that, you know, you hurt other people or even kill other people, you know that psychological punishment is already really huge. So I I think, uh, and also uh, a lot of people, people tend to be overconfident about themselves. So before the accident, they believed they would be a very safe driver until, you know, uh, they had the accident. So I think that Penalty itself may not be the best way to, to kind of uh, change the, the situation we are facing, but instead a much better uh, testing requirement and more mm. rigorous, uh, you know, uh, uh, testing procedure. And then, as uh, Michael said, you know, we should consider a drop dead age for commercial driver. But when we are interpreting these statistics, we have to be careful, I think, because if private car owners may be driving for half an hour or an hour a day, and the mm-hmm. taxi driver is driving eight or maybe 12 hours a day, then the fact that uh, age drivers, and you need to see how many hours they were on the road. If if a private motorist is hardly ever on the road, but is often having accidents, then <laughs> that's more serious than someone who's driving many hours a day. So we can't just take the crude statistics and and, and bring them across. Well, as I mentioned, in the last uh, seven major cases from 2019 to 2021, four involve private cars and three involve uh, uh, commercial vehicles. So private cars definitely are doing the damage. Yes. And the one with the biggest casualty is one dead and seven wounded uh, occurred in Sha Tin Taichung Bridge Road in 2021. There's an uh, imprisonment of 16 months. One dead, seven injured, 16 months. Mm. Right, so that is something that, you know, well, we'll see how... It it depends on the degree of culpability, doesn't it? Yeah, and also, you know, you can argue that uh, a commercial driver, taxi driver, drives all the time, so the chance is higher, but then also that person is more skilled. Right. A private driver who drives occasionally... It could be quite deadly. Mm. Yeah, weekend, so, weekend motorists. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's really hard to say. Mm. I think the penalty as a deterrent is something we should consider, but uh, definitely testing uh, is something that we should uh, consider for age 70 and right. up. I'm thinking, I'm thinking when you come to penalties, that is difficult, unless it's something that you knowingly did. I'm thinking if you drive after you've been drinking alcohol 
then then frankly the system should throw the book at you because you knew if, oh, when you got behind the wheel absolutely. that you were impaired um whereas if you feel healthy and you are healthy and you've passed these other tests and there was just an accident which could have been caused maybe by the pedestrian um, or a dog running out suddenly and you swerve to miss it. That's, that should be taken into account as well, isn't it? It shouldn't be a blanket thing. Well, that's up to the court, right? right. You increase the maximum penalty doesn't mean that the judge will give you the maximum sentence. The judge will look at the situation, mm. all right, and sentence accordingly. Mm. All I'm trying to say is barring from any understandable uh, reasons, a strictly reckless, careless driving leading to death. All right, what kind of maximum penalty should that give? It's a signal to any kind of either commercial, frequent, or weekend driver when they get behind the wheel, they should concentrate, focus, and not but thinking about other things. Yeah. Of yeah. course, it's rules about alcohol yeah. and looking at a handphone and hands free and all that. Mm. But Sometimes people just get the mind off and they think. So it's something that we should have an, uh, raised yeah. the level of, you know, alertness. Sure. Yeah. Professor? Yes, I think but we cannot, we should not forget the fact that we, we, or we should not assume that these people actually are driving pretty much at a free wheel and more like a leisure drive hour. So they, they, they want to spend, uh, to kind of a meaningful way to spend their time, so they sometimes they drive. But many of these older folks, um, the, the reason that they are driving, uh, in fact, it is for economic reasons. So I think, um, as I said, the first question we need to ask is why there are so many older people at such a advanced age. So we are not talking about 60-something. We are talking about 70, 80, right, are still working. Uh, in the job market. Driving is not a easy job. Actually, it is quite testing if you drive long time each day. So I think the, I, I, my, my take is um, punishment may work, but we need to provide incentive for them not driving. Mm. And if you look at the social policy in Hong Kong, one major thing that is lacking is the retirement uh, protection. So many of those um, drivers, uh, cab drivers, when now driving at old age, it's because they need the money, not because they, uh, they, it is their hobby or something they want to so it is completely different from from drunk driving, right? Uh, you consume alcohol, you're still driving. This is a profession. This is a, something they make a living, even at old age. I'm looking. Can I share something? Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. I'm looking at statistics of uh, traffic accident involving drivers. 2019, the highest percentage, okay, is in the 55 to 59 group. 2019, mm. okay. This is overall private and commercial. 2020, mm. the age is 35 to 39, mm. okay? And then in 2021, is 55 to 59. Mm -hmm. That's the highest percentage involving uh, traffic accidents. Mm. Mm. So, but of course, the profile age of those drivers probably also are in these areas. So to say that, you know, it's always the problem with 70-year-old and up, those numbers are actually very low because the number of drivers in that age group uh, uh, are very, very limited. Mm. So I'm looking at traffic accidents caused by people actually even below 60 years of age. So what mm. can we do with them? Mm. All right. They mm. have their regular tests. They have a 10 year uh, license and all that. All right. Mm. So other than something to do with penalty, I don't know how else uh, mm. 
to handle this um, mm. high percentage mm. of traffic accidents involving mm. drivers that are below 60. But certainly in terms of uh, setting an age limit for cab drivers, I mean, uh, most ta- according to the latest figures, we have most taxi drivers are aged 60 or above. I mean, that would uh, seriously limit the service, wouldn't it, if uh, cabbies and minibus drivers weren't allowed to continue? Right. We're talking about a drop that uh, age, which is to be decided by the community. It could be 75, could be even Mm -hmm. higher. Mm -hmm. Then you have to look at the supply and the demand. And if there is such an age, then you have to have young people coming in, then you have to raise the age. Mm-hmm. How do when we you get raise, young people no, interested? You have, you have to raise uh, wage. Uh, that's uh, getting young people into the, into the right. taxi industry, right. Mike. That's another topic, I think, which we, which <laughs> exactly. we won't be able to... Yeah, yeah, we, topic, we, don't, right. we don't quite have time to go into it now. We, ha- we have to thank Michael Teen, because I know you have to leave us at uh, 9.30. Uh, uh, Professor Terry Lum, uh, please uh, stay with us for a bit longer. We're going to take a short break. Uh, we've got a news uh, summary coming up, followed by a couple uh, of announcements and we hope to be joined uh, by another guest after 9.30 uh, on this topic, uh, possibly and um, and then for the last 15 minutes we're talking about the uh, the prevalence of kidney disease uh, after a, a new survey. Uh, right um, okay, let's have a quick look at the weather before we go to the news summary. It's currently um, uh, sorry, currently it is uh, 19 degrees and the relative humidity is at 52%. Another news. Chief Executive John Lee says top Beijing official Xia Bao Long has called on Hong Kong to be ready to tackle so-called hidden forces seeking to undermine the SAR's social stability. John Lee was speaking to reporters after flying back from Beijing, where he attended the opening session of the National People's Congress. A local activist has welcomed the finalisation of a high seas treaty between United Nations member states, which will pave the way for the creation of marine protected areas in international waters. Lydia Pang, interim head of Oceans Conservation at WWF Hong Kong, told RTHK the treaty aimed to protect 30% of the high seas by 2030. And a new law to crack down on migrants arriving in Britain in small boats from Europe across the English Channel will be unveiled today. The British government has been promising to step up action to tackle the issue after the numbers making the perilous crossing soared to more than 45,000 last year. And we'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Be a positive parent and nurture children in proper ways with a good attitude. Show more care and encouragement to your children to help them build confidence. Cultivate positive and optimistic attitudes. Appreciate your children's uniqueness. Unleash their potential to help facilitate children's all-round development and promote their physical and psychological well-being. Parental care and love help children grow up with confidence. Brain, heart, lungs, liver, stomach. There are two more major organs at the back. Kidneys are low-key by nature. One in 10 people suffer from kidney disease to varying degrees. Those with diabetes or high blood pressure or with family or past history of kidney disease are more at risk. It can be completely asymptomatic in the early stage. Regular checkups can help detect kidney disease early to avoid kidney failure. Let's care more about the kidneys for better kidney health. 
And welcome back to Back Chat with Mike Rouse and me, Jim Gould. And in fact, that last uh, API announcement of public interest uh, was uh, really very uh, relevant to us this morning because later in the programme we're going to be talking about the, about the uh, prevalence of uh, kidney disease among the population following uh, uh, a recent survey. Uh, but uh, we're going to return now to our main topic this morning. Uh, we're talking about uh, the possibility of having a, a, an age cap for taxi drivers and other uh, commercial drivers that after the serious uh, accident in uh, Fortress Hill on Sunday which uh, injured uh, three pedestrians, two of them were seriously injured. Of course it's the latest uh, in a series uh, of serious accidents um, involving taxis. Um, we have uh, with us uh, Professor Terry Lum, who is uh, a professor in social work and social admin at the University of Hong Kong. Um, uh, professor, uh, before the break, uh, so we were talking about this possibility of a, uh, a cut-off age. Uh, uh, Michael Teen, the round table convener, was suggesting maybe uh, in some, uh, at some time in the 70s, uh, when a driver's in, in their 70s. Um, but, it, I mean, is that, is that something that, is that, is, is that, something that, that you would support or yes i mm. think i would support a cut-off day you know mm. uh, for uh, commercial driving or uh, even you know in many other countries actually the, there is also a very rigorous um test a uh, medical test or functional test for older driver but in hong kong i think um we do not have um, such requirement. We have um, tax, you know, a medical tax every three years. But I think um, driving commercially uh, for living is very different from, you know, driving occasionally, you know, uh, 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 for daily life. So I think we should have much stringent uh, requirement for commercial driver. Yeah, but Professor, if I may go back to your earlier point, you, mm -hmm. you pointed to what we do with vehicles. We, when, mm -hmm. it, when you get to seven years old, Mm -hmm. we, we don't crush the vehicle and take mm -hmm. it off the road, do we? Turn it into a metal box. Yes. We yes. test it. And yes. that would be true whether it was 8 years or 18 years or 28 mm -hmm. years. Um, as long as we're testing it, as long as we're testing the driver, what, what, what's the justification for saying to uh, someone... <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, even for vehicle, uh, some old machine, right? Um, for example, they cannot pass the air pollution regulation, right. regardless of what we do, right? Um, so, so, so take them off the road. That's, yeah, a, that's exactly. a test. Exactly. No, it, that is a test. But um, the test requirement also change based on uh, based on technology. But we we don't have such. Um, a requirement for older person. So as I said before, um, it is much more important to have a functional test. But we also know that, uh, for example, when you reach 80 years old, one in three people uh, will have, um, like we have dementia. When you reach 85, one in two people will have uh, cognitive impairment. But even for people who don't have cognitive impairment, their response time will be much slower than uh, people who are, who, who, who are, who are younger. So uh, right now what I said is the current medical tests or even the functional tests are not sensitive enough even to catch some of those, you know, delayed response time or, or you know, a mild quantum impairment, which significantly affects um, driver's ability to react to rapid changing road condition. Okay. So I agree, um, there is no perfect solution, but if you compare the potential harm versus you know, uh, potential benefits of having, you know, uh, a, a old age commercial driver. I think that is something as a society, at policy level, we need to balance it. 
Okay. Uh, we're also joined uh, now on the line by Alok Jain, uh, a transport specialist and CEO and managing director of uh, Transconsult. Uh, Alok Jain, good morning. Good morning. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, so, what do you think? Do, do we need to have a, a cut off age for commercial drivers? Yes, we should. I mean, mm. just imagine why we then, if we go by this logic that there should be no cut off age, then the buses, we don't need to retire drivers at 60. We retire government people, all the government officials, they retire at a certain age. But there is a logic behind it, and this is a, there is a biological clock in our bodies which obviously impairs our reaction time as we age. And beyond a certain point, especially when you're driving public vehicles, so a taxi normally drives about 500 kilometers a day. So that's about uh, you know half a million kilometers per year. If you are driving of you know, that intensity, it is necessary that the person who is driving those vehicles has the necessary equity, attention, as well as the bodily fitness. Uh, and if we cannot compromise those things, and for, I mean, I consider this as a more as a societal failure in the sense that an 84-year-old person has to earn a living by working, you know, 8, 10, 12 hours a day. And I think that there is a support system that we need to make sure that people of that age do not have to resort to, you know, such kind of demanding work to support themselves. So that's another issue. So, but fundamentally, yeah. when it comes to public vehicles, it's a public safety issue, and I think this is exactly what happened. Uh, I know we discussed about the vehicles as well. These vehicles, we should not just look at the number of years that the vehicle has been on the road. Uh, a taxi normally is subjected to very intensive usage. And, you know, for me, if it's a 40-year-old vehicle, it, it has already done close to, you know, 20 million miles. Yeah. <laughs> so if it, it has done 20 million, just imagine these vehicles are not, no vehicle is designed for 20 million miles. So yeah. if you have gone through that kind of a cycle, the vehicle, even though it could run on the road, it would not have the structural integrity that, you know, you would like to see in a public vehicle. So is this another part of the regulatory regime that needs addressing? You know, vehicles yes, like that need to be retired much earlier. So buses, for example, in Hong Kong, they can only operate 17 years and 364 days, mm. and then they have to retire. This is a transport department requirement. It's, it's enshrined in the law. And I think we need to have similar level of aging built into our legal framework so that we do not, we have vehicles which are sound, which have the structural uh, strength uh, and which can comply with the safety and technological requirements that are evolving around the world. Could there be a two-tier system where we're treating commercial drivers differently from casual drivers? Well, it already we already have that system actually so in terms of if you're referring to licensing of course yes answer is yes but if we just talk about you know the driving requirements we we do have those systems commercial drivers are uh, required to have certain amount of brakes unfortunately those laws which are which apply to let's say a bus driver today in terms of number of brakes and how many hours they can work the fatigue monitoring and all of those things yep. none of that is translating into monitoring of the taxi drivers unfortunately so a taxi driver i have met taxi drivers who have done straight shifts of 16 hours and they keep bottles in the in the in the car and they literally use that as car as a toilet a car is their food you know eating place everything so they are dining, they are basically living in the car. And I think that's a pathetic situation for anybody. I mean, we have to, I mean, this is something that we have not addressed. 
it's completely out of sight and we don't really seem to care about it. Okay, uh, a couple of emails here from uh, listeners. Uh, uh, this one from Mike says, uh, um, look at one's record. If they have a poor driving record, take their licence away, regardless of age, not because of age. People with bad habits drive badly their entire life. Those with good driving habits drive good. Age is just a number. And... Uh, Philip says, Dear Backchat, I personally think drivers over the age of 65 should have to do a driving test to renew their licence. Conducted by qualified driving instructors and focusing on eyesight, reaction time, anticipation, good use of indicators and road signs. Thank you for that, uh, Philip. How about the, um, uh, that suggestion? Uh, 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 Professor Lum, um, drivers, when they get to 65, should have to take another driving test to make sure that they're still uh, uh, capable and competent? No, I think it is not a driving skill. It is more, as I say, it is their functioning. And a mm. lot of time, the decline of functioning is not uh, linear. That means they, they are not kind of slowly declined, but a lot of time it is uh, when they pass certain threshold, they suddenly have a quick job in, the, in their recent time. So I think the challenge right now is uh, we should not um, move the focus on on the vehicle definitely we need to have better law you know on the on the vehicle but at the same time it is more the people behind behind the wheel secondly mm -hmm. is um a lot of people they have an extremely good driver all their life but by the time when they hit for example they start to have cognitive impairment um their driving habit change very suddenly so so it is not uh, so I think testing their driving skill is not the one that we should focus, but mm. testing their overall functioning is the one that we should focus more on. Mm. All right, I want to... There's two bars of that I'd like to ask you about. Yeah. Um, one is I have noticed that some of the older drivers just don't signal at all when they change lanes. So that is, a, that is an argument for a test of their driving skills. Um, but coming back to your other point, when we're talking about physical mental and cognitive aren't we going to we're going to need a center for that aren't we uh, where we we have experts in all three areas uh, so that people can make an appointment and and go through in an hour or so um we can't just scatter that those skills around the town we're going to have to concentrate them Mike, um, can I just mention one thing here I mean I think we are focusing too much on the driving test itself what mm -hmm. I think we should focus also is that somebody who is perfectly good driver or, you know, can drive very well and passes all the tests, we, when they work for longer hours, is the fatigue. And, and fatigue right. is, is in most cases, I have managed a driving workforce of 10,000, 11,000 bus drivers. And I can tell you, fatigue is, is the worst, uh, worst thing than any skill set. So they may have all the skill, they may have everything, but when they have worked eight, nine hours continuously on the road, then no skill comes into the play. After that time, your body just gives up. And, and I think this is what causes accidents in road, road conditions with public vehicles normally. Mm -hmm. So, so we, we need to limit the hours that uh, commercial drivers work, that, uh, that taxi drivers work? Yes, and I think the regulations do exist. So, for example, when, when the bus drivers are employed, there are labor laws, well, there are regulations or what we call guidelines by transport department, which are, uh, you know, not hard, hard facts, hard rules, but they are followed by the entire bus industry. There are brake requirements, there are rest requirements, there are, so a number of those requirements are there. 
and those are regulated through the rosters that we produce in the in the bus industry. Yeah. We should have very similar level of regulation for the drivers. And many countries mm. are doing it. I mean, I, I have been advising in Dubai, and Dubai taxi drivers are monitored who is coming on duty, how many hours they have worked, what is the shift pattern, all of those things. And it is part of their regulatory management system. We need to enshrine similar things. And today the technology allows those things to be monitored very easily. Uh, by by but, you know any authority aren't you talking of a situation where the drivers are employees how no, about no. so many of the taxi drivers are freestanding no, they don't have to be employees what what dubai does for example is they install a small device in every taxi every licensed taxi in the in the city and these devices they provide data to a control center, what right. we call a RMS, Regulatory Management System. And the center actually just monitors through this regulatory management system. And any exceptions to that data pattern are immediately noticed and then they take the action. But how can, so it, is, how can it tell who is driving? No, no, it does because somebody has to log in into the system. Right. So... I think this is com what commercial... I mean, today the technology is very easy. So today, if you see even a taxi, they have a meter, right? A meter is a device. Similarly, you can have a device which can you can tap an octopus card or you can have your card and you just tap on the card and you know who you are, basically, mm -hmm. in, in the regulatory management system. Nobody has to sit there and watch each taxi. But whenever it goes out of a certain synchronized, synchronized pattern, then it should just flag it and somebody at the control center or regulator, they may intervene at that point. Aren't we going to drive people into Uber if we, if we do some of these things? Well, it's already happening. And in fact, Uber applies. I mean, Uber is no safer than any taxi. I mean, it, it, in my opinion, they are pretty much exposed to the same amount of risk that a taxi would do otherwise. But And the regulatory management system should even monitor a Uber driver. So... All Uber, uh, Uber operators in Dubai, for example, they are part of this regulatory management system. So the whole ecosystem, the taxis, the Ubers, the Kareens, they are all part of the same system, and they have to comply with it. And that's, I think, what we need in Hong Kong. Okay. It's a very interesting topic. We could uh, go on for quite a lot longer with this, but I'm afraid we have to bring uh, this part of the programme to a close because uh, we're uh, out of time. But thank you very much there to uh, Alok Jain, CEO and Managing Director of TransConsult, and thanks very much to Professor Terry Lum, uh, Professor in Social Work and Social Administration at the University of Hong Kong. I hope to speak to uh, uh, both of you again um, in the not-too-distant future. And also before 9 o'clock, uh, we heard from... Uh, sorry, before 9.30, we heard from Michael Teen, Roundtable Convener and Legislative Councillor. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say... 25 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. I'm Gilly of Consumer Council. Happy birthday, LTHK, for your 95th anniversary. May I wish you always filled with positive energy, continue to discover and report accurate, impartial and objective consumer news for consumers to shop smartly every day. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned, Stay tuned. with Hong Kong. 
And for the last part of this morning's uh, programme, we're going to be talking about uh, a study which was conducted by several uh, medical groups uh, about um, kidney disease, um, often the kind of kidney disease that uh, the people who have it uh, don't know about. Um, we're joined uh, now on the line by uh, Dr. Lois Fai, who's chairman of the Hong Kong Kidney Foundation. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning. Good so, morning, everyone. So, uh, yeah, thanks for yeah. joining us. So, so your study found that uh, like one in seven of the population uh, could be uh, living with uh, kidney disease that, uh, that, that they're perhaps not aware of. Could you just uh, tell us a little bit more? Yes. Uh, we have the World Kidney Day mm. around the world every year, this, this time of the year, mm. and to promote uh, better care of patients with kidney disease. But more important is everyone should have a good kidneys, so to speak, that function well. You need to protect your kidneys because it can be harmed by various things. Um, and the major theme of the World Kidney Day around the world this year is to prepare for the unexpected. Um, in the broader sense, uh, we were interested in preparing everyone for unexpected uh, consequence of disasters and weathers and war that sort of thing can prevent people to get treatment. But in Hong Kong, we thought we could uh, focus more on individual. Uh, that you may be unprepared, unexpected, that you may have a disease that which affect your life, mm. such as diabetes. Mm. Um, right. Just gives you a bit more information. In fact, yeah. um, it is very common that people have what we call non-communication, communicable kidney uh, disease, such as diabetes, hypertension. It's very common. Mm -hmm. Over a million people in Hong Kong have it. But we wow. estimate there's probably another one million people who do not know that they got the disease. Mm. That's what we're trying to find out. Mm. Uh, are you recommending then that uh, people go and get checked? Yes. Well, mm. to some extent, we need to be sensible about this. Mm. Who should have regular check? Mm. Uh, but more so, those who are at high risk of disease should have, uh, have checked. Right. Uh, what we mean is that if you have diabetes, mm. if you have hypertension, if you have family history of kidney disease, and lastly, if you have history of kidney disease in the past, these are the four uh, risk factors that laymen, general people should be aware that you should have regular uh, tests for your kidneys. Uh, not necessarily every year, but every few years at least. Those are four high uh, risk factors. Dr. Lloyd, good morning. Um, what, if you're a regular guy and you don't know about this, what sort of symptoms could there be that would tip you off that you should go and see a doctor? Well, that's the problem. You are, you are writing that. The problem with kidney disease, it has no symptoms. You have no symptoms at the beginning. You don't know your kidney so wrong. It doesn't give you pain unless you've got kidney stone. That's the only one that gives you pain. But otherwise, your kidney can be inflamed, infected, and you do, you do not have symptoms. So unless towards the very late stage when you become very tired, right. uh, you start vomiting. So the problem is that it, it does not show up. That's why it's a hidden disease. Uh, that's why we need to have some regular checkups. Now, right. If you're a normal individual, I, 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 we don't want to fight everyone. We need to be very sensible about what we're doing. Mm. As a normal individual, what you should look is to look at your blood pressure, blood pressure, and your mm -hmm. body weight. Those mm -hmm. are two simple things <laughs> that all of us can do at home mm -hmm. every day, right. yeah, or, almost. Mm -hmm. what, what, are, what are the causes then? What, what sort of behavior, lifestyle, alcohol, smoking, what sort of things would add to the risk of this? The higher risk is obesity, overweight, mm. overweight. Because overweight causes two major problems. It causes high blood pressure. It causes diabetes. 
of the 1,600 new cases of end-stage kidney disease that we have, that your kidneys are no longer working, you need dialysis, you need transplant to maintain your life. Every year, about 1,600 new cases of this. You may be surprised to hear me saying that 50%, 50% are due to diabetes. So mm-hmm. if we don't do anything, if we just focus on diabetic patients, uh, those are important. 10% is due to hypertension. Okay, those are the two most important uh, reasons for long-term kidney damage. The other one is what we call glomerulonephritis. That is inflammation of the kidneys. Uh, this is our blue. You don't know why it happened. We don't know why it happened most of the time. It's, it's just a uh, auto damage of your own kidneys, mm. and that costs about ten percent. But let me say once again: the only the main thing that we want to focus is diabetes, 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 <laughs> and hypertension, hypertension. What Those What are, are the safeguards then? What can you do in your life, in your diet, and and behaviour that would um, protect you? Yes, very precise. The question that we need to address is: we need to move backwards. Uh, of course, if you've got kidney disease, we can actually slow it down for you. Uh, if you've got diabetes, there are now very good protective drugs to protect your kidneys from damage. But right. most important of all is to control your blood pressure, so to control your diabetes. And to do that is to lose weight. Do you see my neurologic going backwards? In order to lose right. weight and, 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 and control blood pressure, is to do exercise, is to be active. Mm. Do exercise, just simply walking. Recently, mm. we've been promoting walking 10,000 steps a day. Yeah. Uh, mm. It sounds a lot, but it's actually achievable. Mm. If you walk 10,000 steps a day, you actually put your health in a lot better position. Mm. And the mm. second thing is, just exercise and walking is not enough. You have to be careful uh, about what you eat. Uh, we, we, there's no point for me to tell you, oh, you should do not eat this and do not that. But we're suggesting that Every one of us can eat more smartly. What we more mean more smartly is avoid the sugary things, avoid mm-hmm. the very salty things, mm-hmm. avoid the very oily things. Uh, if you can do these two things, eat smart, eat well, mm-hmm. and do more exercise. Be mm-hmm. it real exercise to the gym or just simply walking. Mm-hmm. You put your health in a much better condition. Right. And if you have better condition, your kidneys are going to be much better. Well, I'm off to the gym in a minute as soon as oh, this good. program's good over. <laughs> so I feel I'm meeting you halfway here, but I, I'm a, my weak point is the obesity. Uh, basically, I'm overweight. Yeah. Uh, but oh, yes. I, I do okay. get a checkup every six months yeah. for, for diabetes and uh, the other That's things good. that you mentioned. Yeah. Obesity, as you know, two days ago, is World Obesity Day. We've got a world day for everything. Well, obviously there. And you probably heard that one in two person in Hong Kong is overweight. We actually, our survey find a lot of people overweight. Mm. Let me share with you the other key thing that we that we find. Well, we did a survey at the shopping center to be convenient for a patient. We go to the front end, to the ground route, to, to, to do it for old people. A lot of elderly patients come forward. We find a very large proportion of patients with hypertension, diabetes, high cholesterol, and overweight. But two important points I want to share with everyone. Of those we find, which is a very high proportion, 40-50%, over 50% of them do not know they got the problem. Now, that's the problem. <laughs> the problem <laughs> is that they do not know the problem. Mm-hmm. So, so they are the, they, you, you don't know you have got high blood pressure unless you check it. You don't know you got high sugar unless you check it. Uh, you don't know you got high cholesterol unless you check it. 
Now, you don't know you are obese. You think you know because you look obese, obviously. But some of those who does not look very obese, but you actually do the so-called body mass index, you're actually over. So that is probably the two key messages we do is uh, have a a good lifestyle to prevent diabetes and hypertension. And by by doing so, you can prevent kidney disease. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second part is look out whether you got diabetes or hypertension because you do not know. You do not know. Especially the final key message is if you are at high risk, the four things which I mentioned, you have diabetes, hypertension, family history, and past history of kidney disease, you need to have regular checkup. Is this part of a, a change in social trends? I mean, the, the, the number of people who are overweight, is that, 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 I guess that must have been increasing over the years. And I also understand that uh, um, a higher proportion of younger people are now uh, developing uh, chronic ailments. Yes, uh, this is all part of our life pattern, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And because I'm actually on the uh, on this uh, committee for for Department of Health and Government on how to target a good good health for the next 20 years, and study to say that one of the target is to control everyone's weight. But what we have gained, what we have actually managed over the previous four or five years, we have lost it with COVID. <laughs> Everyone mm-hmm. has been eating more uh, at home and mm-hmm. exercise. So there's a long way to go. So yes, we, we need to shift the way that we, 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 we live uh, in a more healthy uh, manner than mm-hmm. be before. Right. So we need to recover. We lost ground during COVID is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, we lost a lot of ground, yeah. Because people don't want to exercise wearing a mask for one thing. Yeah, uh, but mm-hmm. just, you can just go out simple. We're going to promote more walking. Mm-hmm. Walking is very simple. Yes. You might not get to a gym. You might not get to a gym, but simply walking. Uh, 10,000 snap a day will we, we, we give you many extra years of good life. Mm-hmm. Everyone, should, life. everyone should have a dog because the dog will make oh, you yeah, go yeah. for a walk. Whole family. Um, mm-hmm. This year we have the, the, uh, the Department of Health, actually we have promoted the walking within the corporate and, and the whole company walk together and many of them walk so much uh, they actually won prizes. And my wish next year is that I want to promote walking within the family uh, on a weekend. Uh, ask your grandpa and grandma and the whole family and the grandchildren all go walking, go up the hillside. Mm-hmm. As you know, Hong Kong has a lot of beautiful countryside walking. Yeah, yes. No cost, no cost. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Team is good. If you don't have any time, you can be very intense yeah. and do your 30 minutes or 60 minutes, one or two, two, one or two or three times a, a day, uh, a yeah. week. Um, basically, we need about 150 minutes of moderate exercise a, a week. 150. Mm-hmm. So you can do three sessions of uh, uh, five sessions of 30 minutes. That's our thing. Yeah. But simply walking is mm-hmm. the most effective way to mm-hmm. promote health. Th- three gym sessions of an hour. That, that will yeah, do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that would do. Mm-hmm. That would be great. Thank that'd you. Very good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like you say, uh, yeah, walking is easy to do. Uh, it, it's uh, you can walk around the office, walk up and down the stairs instead of taking yeah. the elevator, and uh, and uh, yeah, a couple of hours of of doing that. A, a yeah. day wouldn't you get there, and that would be a 10,000 step target easily yeah. met. That's, I guess. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people in office now they have uh, they, they work, work uh, they do work with a with a desk that can go up and down. You yeah, actually right, do right, steps yeah. while you're great. walking. Excellent. I, yeah. I watch when well, I watch so, football. I cycle. Oh right, on my, okay. On my bike, you know, okay. very, that's one and a half hours exercise. Very good, very good. Okay, so well, thanks very much for speaking to us uh, on the program this morning. Uh, that was uh, Dr. Loy Sufai, who's chairman of the Hong Kong Kidney Foundation. Uh, stay with us. Uh, we've got the news uh, coming up, followed by uh, brunch with Noreen.